The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. Happy holidays and happy Boxing Day to my fellow Canadians. December 26th. Happy day after Christmas to everyone else. I hope everyone's enjoying uh, the holidays, getting ready for the new year. And man, what a year for wrestling in 2018. Lots of game changing going on. So it's only fitting that Jim Cornette returns to talk about the state of the wrestling business and some of the year's biggest events, like the Bucks and Cody uh, in All In in Chicago, which I was there. Jim's also got some thoughts on what 2019 might hold for WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact, New Japan, and the Indies around the world. Plus, Jim is a great storyteller. He's got plenty of those about the NWA, WWE, Ring of Honor at Madison Square Garden, his time at Impact, and even Dave Batista. So I'm basically turning over the microphone to Jim Cornette and letting him entertain me as well. Here he is on Talk is Jericho, the special Boxing Day edition, the state of the wrestling business, according to Jim Cornette. Here we go. So we're here uh, in Louisville with Jim Cornette. Just barely. <laughs> I'll get this bit in. We're on the outskirts. Take two. And we were going to do this uh, when I was in town with Fozzie like yes. six weeks ago. And then you just had come back from some traveling that you were doing. I, I got back. I spent a month in Philadelphia one weekend, and uh, <laughs> and I just got and we couldn't we couldn't get together because yeah. also I'm old. I'm a senior citizen. Right at, at seven o'clock now. You, you're you know, one of those Eastern guys time. that starts going like, well, the traffic's going to be really oh, bad if I yeah. try and go downtown, and I don't know what yeah. to do. So then we decided that it happened to be back in Louisville again here uh, a month and a half later, and we had it all worked out. And then I forgot my <laughs> recording stuff at home. So then I spent the rest of the afternoon on a plane trying to figure out where to go and we're at this nice high budget studio in on the beautiful outskirts beautiful outskirts outskirts right close to where I live close to to Castle Cornette this is as close (laughs) as I let most people in the wrestling business get to the castle but you know when we worked together in Smoky Mountain you were uh, shall we say kind of a portly guy yes yes I was a little bit uh, bigger as you showed up today I was full figured full figured yeah very curvaceous and you're even thinner now than you were when I saw you like a year ago in May. You have just gone gone over the top. Of well, this. I got some bad news earlier. No, no, no. I, I can't. Wait a minute. I joke. I yeah, yeah, don't I, say I can, that. Right. There's nothing wood around here I can knock on. Uh, I, this is the result of depriving myself of a lot of cattle byproduct, a lot of gravy, a lot of grease. 
a lot of uh, uh, cheese and and especially cake. Mm. I miss cake. Really, cake is is one of my weaknesses. Because it was always uh, Wendy's triple cheeseburger. Well, that's the cattle byproduct. Yeah, you know that's I I figured out one time when I went on a trip here. Oh my gosh, it was about a year ago. I was gone for seven days. Might have been to uh, Florida for the TNA thing or whatever. But I consumed in those seven days nine pounds pre-cooked weight, nine pounds of ground beef alone uh, uh, in uh, the uh, process of the burgers and the cheesesteaks and the things. And, and such. that's fast food ground beef, oh, which oh, yes. we don't know exactly yes. how much is ground and how much is beef. <laughs> <laughs> More ground than yeah. beef. <laughs> so I figured I, as I get older, I, I was, I was going to. But see, what I do is I take myself off the road mm-hmm. I do because I can't do both. I can diet or I can be on the right. road. But what keeps me in large part, while I'm traveling, and you know the drill, you do it more than I do now, the, 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 and you fly too, which I don't, but the, the traffic and the headaches and, and the checking in and checking out and the people in your way, and it's noise, 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 like the Who's on Christmas morning. It started slow and continued to grow. But anyway, so it, what keeps me from throttling people with both hands, uh, with both thumbs in their goozle pipe, <laughs> is a greasy triple cheeseburger from Wendy's. That calms my nerves. Uh, so I can't travel and diet. So this year I've mostly stayed home off the road. And the result you see here is 199 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> That's great, man. But like you said, you still do a lot of stuff on the road. But you're always driving. Yeah. Rarely, yeah. rarely fly. I remember I saw you were going to do some spoken words in England, and I was like, oh, my gosh. That, that was a flight. Yeah. That was a yeah. flight. Yeah. yeah. No, I wore out five sets of windshield wipers <laughs> on the way over there. No, that actually, I, I have discovered that if I Xanax myself to complete unconsciousness and my wife goes with me to lead me around by a small rope, then, you know, I never I never know about the, the right. takeoff. I never know about the landing. And usually I don't even remember checking in the hotel. I wake up the next day and go, oh, we're here. You're like one of the boys in the 80s. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> want to get too far. You know, that, that can, that's why I only do it sparingly and for large amounts of money. But you're talking about, you mentioned earlier, you're going to the NWA 70th anniversary yeah. show, which is this weekend when this airs. It could have been a month it, ago or it whatever. It could be any, it it could could be be any time. time. We're in a time warp. But Let's you, do the time warp again. again. But you are going there. Um, and what exactly, like, you have a big affiliation with NWA, because I still think of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express as NWA yeah. talents. I mean, WCW to an extent, but it was NWA for me. So to go to this uh, 70th show, does it mean anything to you? What does the NWA well, mean to you now? Actually, that's why I'm doing it, because I've got to the point where I don't do anything unless it means something to me, either financially or personally. This is a little <laughs> bit of both, but a lot personally. Um <laughs> As a fan, I saw my first NWA World Heavyweight Championship match in 1974, What? <laughs> shortly right, right, after right, you right. were born, I think. <laughs> uh, as a photographer, I covered my first NWA World Heavyweight Championship match in 1977, uh, Harley Race and Rocky Soul Man Johnson. Who was the one that you saw in 72? Uh, 74, with Lawler and Jack Briscoe. Oh, okay. um, and I, then as I got in the business... Obviously, the Midnight Express were the NWA World Tag Team Champions. We worked for Crockett. That was the last bastion of the National Wrestling Alliance in the 80s. Then in the 90s, I was able to help with the resurgence when the NWA, basically after WCW and Turner Broadcasting got finished with all of their machinations, Mm -hmm. uh, was down to six promoters, two inactive I think Steve Ricard in, in New Zealand still had his membership. <laughs> Dennis Corluzzo. Dennis Corluzzo yeah. and, and Howard Brody, mm-hmm. who started spearheading the thing, got me uh, involved doing a little publicity for him and trying to uh, uh, in kind of recruit some folks. And we had an affiliation with Dan Severn when he was the NWA champion down at Smoky Mountain a few times. Right. So. 
Then with the WWF uh, bringing the NWA on board for Jeff Jarrett's invasion as the inter, inter, right. w, NWA international champion. They ended up with, by the end of the 90s, that little run there, they ended up with like 32 member promoters. But, of course, then that's been 20 years ago. Things went sideways again for a while. But now, and I got, can I back up and tell you Please a little do. story? Because I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be I me if I didn't. From it, it would not be me if I didn't. You know, I've realized why the past few years I've said, oh, my God, I can't watch wrestling. Oh, my God, I want to cut my throat and tear my, you know, jugular vein out or whatever. People send me because they love to hear me verbally eviscerate these, you know, you, you go on rants. I do. Yeah. I do. I do yeah, digress you know sometimes, that, yeah. but they love it. And they send me clips of my and what I have seen of most modern wrestling over the past couple of years. It's either in the genre of the guy that jumps off the roof and, and goes through the fluorescent light tubes on the way into the AIDS infected hypodermic needle bucket. <laughs> yeah. Or sets his. This was a real one. Set his head on fire to do a I flying headbutt. You it saw was like that. in the Philippines or something. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. either that or Mississippi. It could. You know, I'm not <laughs> Philippines, sure. Mississippi, I Philippines, Mississippi. Philippines, <laughs> Mississippi. Yes, and right next to Pascagoula. <laughs> and uh, oh, I remember Biloxi. But anyway, uh, or it's the the you know the invisible hand grenade or the you know the invisible man. They did that. Mm-hmm. Or the guy that's throwing people around with his super strong genitalia. And I come to the conclusion that nobody was taking this shit seriously anymore. And as a result, I've shied away from it. But this is where I come back around to the topic. When they called me about the NWA event, and, and also recently, I, there has been some things I like. Of course, that doesn't get any publicity. You know, I was a big fan of the Revival a year or two ago when they were in, a, in NXT. The tag team, yeah. Um, and, and I thought, good as Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, could have worked for Crockett Promotions. Just flawless in the, the psychology and the little things and being where they need to be. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And, uh, of course, then they got moved up to the main roster and got injured. They tripped over some bad booking. And... <laughs> But, I, you know, I became a fan of theirs, and I've always been a fan of some of the Ring of Honor guys I worked with five or six years ago. Adam Cole, I'm glad to see Kyle O'Reilly, Jay Lethal, the Briscoes. I, I can go on with those names. But for the most part, the past couple of years, I thought it was crazy. And then they called me about the NWA 70th anniversary and tugged at my heartstrings a little bit because not only, you know, I'm, I'm working on the bucket list stuff now at, <laughs> at this stage of my life. I did uh, commentary on a pay-per-view with Jim Ross a couple of years ago when I went to England. England, right. And crossed that one off, and they said, look, it's the Nashville Fairgrounds. Uh, Jeff Jarrett is promoting the the live event and the liaison with Fight TV. It's going to be a pay-per-view, and, and I started working for Jeff's grandmother, and I was every Saturday night in the Nashville Fairgrounds Wrestling Arena in 1982, you know. Right. Um, uh, also, uh, Tony Schiavone is signed on to do the, the rematch of the World Heavyweight Championship contest, and I haven't done a show with Tony in 28 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's close to home. It, it's 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 south, uh, but also Dave Lagana showed me the ten pounds of gold series he's been doing. And I said, well, I don't know why somebody didn't send me this right before instead of the flaming head in the Philippines. And what is the 10 pounds of gold? I've heard of it, but I don't it, know exactly. Well, they've done a YouTube series following chronicling. Uh, the NWA World Heavyweight oh. Champion from the start. I don't know who the champion was when they started, but okay. really Nick Aldis over the past however long has has he. The point is, it was a it's a documentary series on the life and the trials and the tribulations of the NWA Champion and the people that might want that title. And Nick Aldis is dressed as a professional, and he carries himself so well, and he looks so good, and he's a, a prime athlete. He's well spoken. You can. It's not some 
mushmouth buffoon, you know, with with his outlaw mud show wrestling tights on, and a new T-shirt available at jimcornette.com. And and then outlaw there's outlaw mud show. Outlaw mud show. What is an outlaw mud show? You know what? Exactly you've been, what you been you worked on some for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An See outlaw no mud show. The the yeah. lowest of the low. You set the ring up in the mud, but it it wasn't an outlaw mud show. Yeah. We did because we had name talent. <laughs> so it was a it was a name it was a Smoky mud, Mountain show. mud show. Yeah, yeah. Smoky Mountain mud show. Yeah. But anyway. And then there's Cody. And Cody obviously has everything, the attributes. He's well-spoken. He's a professional athlete. He's got it in his genes. Uh, He's hot right now. But they're talking about the championship seriously. They're treating their business seriously. Uh, They don't uh, wink at the audience for any reason and say, ha-ha, we're going to go out and hug each other and and pose on Instagram or whatever after. No, it's a contest between two athletes for various reasons that want something that means a lot to them, Mm -hmm. whether it's it's the birthright or the money or the notoriety or the fame or the chance to go further and further. So anyway, that's why I agreed to it because I've I've also watched their their match at All In, which we got to talk about here in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And they had a heck of a match. They had a heck of a world championship style match with people behind it. They weren't diving off the roof. And once again, some people I'd love to see them dive off the roof, uh, but not the, <laughs> not these people. You know, no, they had a, they had a good contest. And I was one of the skeptics uh, a year or so ago when Billy Corgan bought the NWA. Well, what are you buying? But I realize now that he's actually done the right thing. It's been so long since they've done the right thing with it that I actually didn't think it was going to happen. The NWA was always a consortium of promoters. It wasn't you weren't a company champion, as they used to say in the seven. Did not to knock Vern or mm-hmm. you know. And basically, Bruno what you mean is that there'd be a committee of promoters, and each guy had to vote a guy in yes. to be the NWA champion. Yeah, the, the 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 NWA was the only organization. The AWA was all controlled by Vern Gagne right. and his interests, and and the WWF. And then WWF and then WWE has always been the McMahon family, one promotion. But the NWA was every other promotion practically in the country. Uh, all the guys, Eddie Graham in Florida and the various offices in Georgia and uh, everywhere from California to Texas, etc., recognized one world champion, the NWA champion. And what they're trying to do now is they're trying to just bring back importance to the championship uh, the guy who holds it is a is a star that's over, just like the old days. He's traveling around to different promotions, Ring of Honor, uh, England, China. Mm-hmm. They've been defending the title all over the world, just like the old days. They're not worried about being a promotion in itself. They are they are restoring the faith in the NWA as a world champion, as a, a talented wrestler holding it, mm-hmm. and as a traveling champion. Right. And, you know, one thing that makes a belt in wrestling is sometimes it's the guy that holds it. But more often, it's the number and the caliber of the people that are challenging for it that would like to have it. And that's what they're starting to build now. Nick was a great champion. He brought the thing back into prominence. But Cody's a little hotter, right? And Nick feels like he got a hometown decision at All In because mm-hmm. Cody's one of the promoters. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now Cody's a little hotter in the eyes of the people, and 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 now he's got it, but Nick still wants it, and also they've got other challengers lining up. They're going to crown a national champion uh, at the NWA 70th, which will sort of be like the, if you're a WWE fan, the Intercontinental title in the old days or the United States championship or whatever, a, a, a level that you can reach and be in contention for the world title and have something extra. Mm-hmm. So. But they're trying to do that from 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 the top down, and I think that's the right way to go about it. Instead of trying to run, NWA is coming now to yeah, yeah, yeah. Ottumwa, Iowa. <laughs> 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You've been doing this a little bit longer than me, but we're kind of, not we, because you were definitely in the 80s, but I come from one foot in the old way of doing things and one foot in the new way of doing things. I started in 1990. So it was just about three or four years left of kind of strong kayfabe, you know, uh, muscle guys and six foot eight guys. And then it kind of been morphing, morphing, morphing. And one of the things for me to have kept me, you know, relevant, if that's the word you want to use, is working with with the younger guys. And that includes guys in the WWE, like Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens and Roman, and then going to Japan and working with Kenny, uh, you know, doing some stuff with the Bucks now on my crew and Cody and, and Marty and those guys. So it's interesting to me because I am the same as you. I like the intensity. I like the realism. But it's almost like the movie Scream, if you remember that came out, where yeah, they're yeah. poking fun at the cliches of the business of the horror movie, which made it cool. And I'm guilty myself of yeah. doing a few of those things, winking at the audience here and there. So it's it's interesting to hear you say this because I know you don't like that aspect of it. Yeah. You're very much focused on you want the realism because that's what wrestling is to you. Well, I don't think that's what wrestling is to me. I think that's what wrestling is because it's born of a simulated conflict. You can do different things. It, and, and see, here's the, the, the problem I have. Movies are a performance. Everybody knows that that all forms of entertainment is a performance. Everybody used to didn't know exactly how much of wrestling was a performance and how was how much was a sport. But when you wink at people with that, to me, it, it, and it depends on the wink and the way. But you devalue when when guys take moves that just ridiculous that used to be a hospitalization angle and suddenly they pop right back up because it'll pop the people that are there right. at that moment but then that goes viral and that devalues the move or when when guys basically have matches with themselves or take their own bumps for whatever reason Already, it, we've gone in the last 20 years from guys having fairly long careers, and, and, and you've had one because you got smart early, mm-hmm. to guys having spinal fusions and traction surgeries yeah, and yeah. all these things. Why do you want to illustrate to people who don't know, and it's easier than ever to get in a wrestling ring now with all the schools and the proliferation of that, but, why, but most people don't know what a vertical suplex in a wrestling ring feels like. The only way they know is how it's portrayed to them. Therefore, the more that we portray that all this really doesn't hurt, even when it does, I see people popping up from shit. I know it hurt them. Yeah. Right? But because the spot was called, we got to pop up, we're popping up. When you're doing stuff that honestly does hurt you in a business that's supposed to be simulated conflict and then not showing the people how much it hurts you, that makes my head explode. Mm -hmm. There, There is no logic in that. And also, it's a disrespect when 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 you're supposed to be having a, a competitive match with somebody to just obviously go into 
cooperation with the other person. Obviously, not. I'm not. Yes, and the Irish whip is somewhat. Actually, I, I, though, to be honest, I've had a few people shoot me off where I had no choice but to go to the ropes. <laughs> I've have King Haku throw yeah, you. Yeah, I, I might could not had to come back, <laughs> yeah. but I w- was going. But yeah. but it, when you have obvious cooperation, when it's just silly, when it's just and when you know when you go over the top with a Saturday Night Live sketch. It not only, to me, devalues and disrespects the business, but also it gives all the people who used to go, oh, those wrestling people, that wrestling fans, that wrestling, that's all hogwash and horse shit, and they all hug each other after the match and go out for a drink together. Well, it didn't used to be that way, but now they this is validation for them, just for every reason in the world. But if, I also, if you're going to, I'm just saying, if, if you're going to approach this sport as a business, and be allowed to be a part of it and be trusted to be it in our brotherhood and you do things that make it harder for the guys with talent to get over and other people's shit to get over because you're showing that it's all hokey horse shit even if people know it's a work they don't have to know they don't have to to mm-hmm. have their emotional investment taken away from it but oh they don't even take it seriously why See, should it's, I? it's like it's like seeing a boom mic in a movie yes yes you know, it takes you out of the game i know that the john wayne didn't kill all those indians right. but he didn't help them up and and tell them nice bump on camera right right so, but to me the, the 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 difference in the game now is you have the movie and you see the movie. When the movie's done, for example, yeah. back when Blu-rays or DVDs actually existed, um, you could go watch the behind the scenes and see how the movie was made and hear the story behind it. And I think that's one of the reasons why podcasting is so popular, because I think people like that side of it. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, I do. Well, that's here's the thing. This actually kind of validates my point, because the people that like wrestling now they are often more interested in the podcasts and the newsletters mm. than they are the actual product because they know this shit's real. Ah. And if everyone's sincerity is the key. When you can fake that, you got it made. Mm-hmm. If if everything is presented as real in wrestling, just like in magic, then yeah. you don't you know that there's trickery going on, there's shenanigans afoot. <laughs> But you don't know where they start and where they end and what part is what. And that makes intrigue and that makes people more interested. When when we when we basically, during the performance, just come out and tell them, okay, here we go, it yeah, just takes I, you I, out. I agree with that. And, and the behind-the-scenes stuff, they know is real. They know that these, these promotions don't get along or these promotions do get along, but that guy just walked out on that promotion. They want the dirt and the gossip because that's real, and they mm-hmm. know who hates each other for real, right? And right. That's, there's sometimes more interest in that than there is, and that leads into the phenomenon all in, Madison Square Garden, right. et cetera, et cetera. I've thought... One of the big things, you, you said something on the phone this week about is 2018 the best year ever for wrestling. Right, right? that's kind of what I thought would be an interesting start for us. But the thing is, six months ago, I said, ah, pfft, wrestling sucks. Like I said, for reasons, including the things people send me. But Vince just got $2 billion for a TV deal. That's going to be the biggest thing. There's other things, and people are looking at All In and what the Bucks and Cody have done and the resurgence of New Japan and this and that. That's going to be the most important thing because now people with platforms are interested in wrestling again. There's a lot of money in wrestling again. For a while, ratings were been, ratings are still me. <laughs> but at the same point, $2 billion, how can you argue with that? So 
The thing is, in 2011, when Sinclair Broadcasting bought Ring of Honor, it instantly pretty much became the second most watched television wrestling program in the country simply because it was going to be on 60 local the broadcast stations. Right, right. <clears throat> And, and and that was still a wide gap from the WWE at that point. And, of course, an impact has gone in the other direction because of their platform. It doesn't matter how good the wrestling is. It doesn't matter how good the show is. And it doesn't matter what style the wrestling is. If you're screaming from a... From the bell tower, people can hear you. If you're standing on a apple box and on the corner, it's like, what's that guy saying? I can't hear him. <laughs> now platforms are interested, and it doesn't all have to be Vince, because at the same time, here comes all in. For 20 years, the WWE has trained the people that the McMahons that own the company are the evil empire, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Good or bad, and and Vince was one of a kind, and and uh, yeah. anytime Vince is on TV, it's going to be great. But I think the the rest of the family can't be that evil. But you're talking about it in the course of the show. Yes, in yeah. the in the yeah. course they're of the always show, the heels. Yeah, the people are trained that it's the evil empire. They keep our favorite wrestlers under their thumbs. That you know they threaten them with their livelihood all the time, right? So now, 20 years later, now these guys are starting to get hot. And the people that are really interested are watching New Japan and seeing Cody and the Bucks and different guys. And and, and there's the, the Internet now, which makes it available. You can have a bit of a platform now, no matter who you are. Look at us. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just a bumpkin. <laughs> but now, all of a sudden, they hit on the brilliant idea of running their own show. The boys are going to run their own show automatically besides if I'm not saying they're not over and I'm not saying but every other show that the Bucks and Cody and all those guys are on didn't draw 10,000 people right, right? it was an event yes. it was a happening it was what Cody inherited from the dream making a big event making a great American bash baby mm-hmm. make a stockade when it's all in baby and for once the wrestlers get the money the people are like oh yes they're good it's good so it's like giving the humane society for <laughs> Sake. The people wanted to be a part of it. It's history. They it made was, it. They made it the place to be. It was a hold my beer moment because everybody said, "No, only Vince can draw that many people." Hold my beer, right? So they got that, and they had a tremendous atmosphere. And once again, Cody and Aldis told a story without all the craziness, and they had the emotion because it was it was a real story because of Dusty and his lineage mm-hmm. and etc. So then the op- but now here's the thing. Ring of Honor, I mean, it's no secret that they provided some infrastructure because not only do they have a lot of television, but also as quaint an idea as it is, and I know because I've done it from scratch, for the boys just say, hey, we're going to run our own show a couple times a year. You can't just go out to the wrestling office store and rent a wrestling office for six weeks, right? So Ring of Honor has infrastructure. They're in the business. And plus, they all work together. Here they go. Now they've got the chance because I don't care how popular Cody and the Bucks and, and, you know, Jesus on Christmas are. They couldn't get into Madison Square Garden if Vince didn't want them to, except now... Sinclair Broadcasting, which is in the television business. I haven't talked to these people. I don't have any inside knowledge, but you can't tell me that they didn't just notice that Vince McMahon got $2 billion for wrestling. Oh, and by the way, we got a wrestling promotion because I do know for a fact that they were not anxious to back the Brinks truck up seven years ago. (laughs) But now they can get Madison because they say we can fill it. Okay. And legal gets involved and boom, now they're in Madison Square Garden and they sell that out. They all need each other. New Japan, Ring of... In my mind, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Cody and the Bucks, uh, the group of talent. 
as long as they're working together and these things come at each company, these opportunities that they can all get together and capitalize on, we always said nobody's going to kick Vince's ass. But a bunch of people gang up on him, they're going to make some room. He mm-hmm. might have to cross the street at least. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't give up the fight, he might have, okay, yeah. I'll just be over here, you know, and do my billion-dollar thing. There's room. So now the business of wrestling, because of a lot of things that wrestling can't really control, have happened in the right mm-hmm. way and in the right place this year. So I think it actually may be the best year for and wrestling money, in a while. And the money is behind it. And this is a thing yeah. I don't know if people realize. You mentioned Vince being a billionaire. Obviously, he can fund it, and the WWE is is pristine as far as no one's like you said. Yeah, no, no they're gonna, they're no here. going to break the armor, but you can yeah. put some chinks in it to get the hell out of here. But if you look at Sinclair, that's a billion dollar company. Yeah, you got Access TV working with New Japan. Well, Mark Cuban, he's a billionaire. Impact for what they're doing, they still are owned and run by the Asper family in Winnipeg, yeah. who are billionaires. So now we've got. Not just one guy with all this money. And that's saying that they're going to open up the purse strings. Lord knows Vince doesn't want to open up the purse strings. But the money is there for the first time ever, not just in yeah. WWE's uh, you know, pocket. Exactly. And people are willing to spend it now. Because once again, Sinclair Broadcasting, right. the first year they owned Ring of Honor, we did not own a broadcast quality television camera. <laughs> right? Now they've sold out Madison Square Garden and Sinclair's legal department helped them get in it. It's, they've come along. Things have happened that's made these people with the money and the platform and the power sense, okay, maybe that we need to do this mm-hmm. now. And it, if all that works together, and here's the thing, if you got Ring of Honor and you've got Impact and you've got New Japan, all these people have their champions. But what about if the biggest champion of all, the guy who only shows up every so often and takes on just the top talent was the NWA champion? Because every And then who would that be? Well, that would be the hottest guy in wrestling, practically, or the mm-hmm. hottest guy not under contract to Vince McMahon. So then you you know you've got uh, basically you've got Vince McMahon running the WWF just like you had thirty years thirty four years ago, yeah. and you've got a bunch of territories that have their own champions, but also use one traveling champion that is, is the hottest talent not under contract to Vince McMahon. It's interesting, you know what's old is new uh, is is what I was thinking. It it, it works. It's it's not like it does. And and see if familiarity breeds contempt, and how can I miss you if you won't go away? A, a touring star in wrestling, whether it be the NWA champion or whether it be the Sheik or whether it be Abdullah or the anybody that they used to bring in Andre for a special occasion, that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Except when the Undertaker comes back once a year, or you know, it, it's it's and yeah. and that generation is going to. There is no current young. Well, except for the guy sitting in front of me, <laughs> young at heart, uh, talented, still can go. Uh, superstar that's not really beholden well you know and that's kind of what I'm doing in Japan and almost kind of stumbled into it strange enough because Kenny Omega's from Winnipeg Don Callis is from Winnipeg Jericho's from Winnipeg put the dots together it just seemed like a cool idea and I think it opened a lot of doors and why I say that is I'm doing this wrestling cruise which now that you told me you fly if you do boats now next year oh I've, you know what <laughs> no here's the thing we actually they first first time I went I've been twice uh-huh. right the first time they checked into a boat because we thought oh that'll be a great but, but I'm going to be there for 12 days plus it's yeah. a week and a week and I'm like Jesus Christ you know it's, yeah but the thing is though to get this thing up and running um, so it's Jericho's cruise yeah I hired Ring of Honor to do all the wrestling because I can't book a territory I don't know what to do you know who might get hurt who might get signed so if I yeah. sign a company 
Yeah. I've got that taken care of. And then Impact wants to get involved. And then I have to get permission from New Japan to use the Bullet Club name to do this main event of Alpha Club <laughs> Bullet Club, which is now on Fight TV, but also on the Honor Club, but also Impact's involved. I really do have all of these, yeah. like you just said, on this boat for four days. Now, if we could just keep that. And well, and, and you know what you need? You need a, a Sam Muchnick or a Jim Barnett <laughs> yeah. because they were the ones that were sitting in one place in the country that everybody else would call and, and he they would work out the various issues amongst the offices. So, so talk, talk about that for a little bit, though. Like, like you, you mentioned Jim Par- Barnett and Sam Machnick, both yeah. kind of legendary figures if you know anything about the history of wrestling. So what exactly was their jobs? Well, obviously they had their own businesses, but it, it, there was very few people. You could count them on one hand in the in the 60s and 70s in the NWA or in the wrestling business in general that people would call when there were issues. Sam Muchnick, as the president of the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, was his idea. He formed it in 1948 with those original 12 promoters at the hotel in Waterloo, Waterloo Iowa, <laughs> uh, because he thought that he was a sports writer from St. Louis. He thought that professional wrestling should be presented as a sport and should be as legitimate as possible and have one world champion. And he also knew that the promoters were a bunch of backstabbing pricks and would stab their mother in the back and have her arrested for carrying a concealed weapon. <laughs> so if they were all working together and, and, and recognizing the same champion and pulling the same rope, it would be better for the wrestling business. And out of that, shortly after that, uh, other promoters started joining, Goulas and Welch in Tennessee and et cetera, until finally they had... By the end of the 50s, 30-something promoters in the NWA, but with all those promoters and everybody wants a date on the champion. And sometimes those promotional boundaries butt up and, and the TV's overlapping and somebody's got an issue, they'd call Sam in St. Louis. Just like if they, the world championship's on the line in in, uh, in Pittsburgh, we need a finish. Somebody call Eddie Graham in Florida. He'll give oh. us a finish, right? Uh, Jim Barnett was the guy when, when there was a war. He was in Australia for eight years, but all of a sudden Atlanta breaks out. And we've been doing research, me and, and my co-host Brian Last and Ron Fuller, basically, because it was his family that was maligned in the wrestling war, the Welches. Mm-hmm. So he's done some research. And Gunkel may have been the heel all along. Oh. Because Ray may have been making plans to take over the office uh, before he passed away when he had that heart attack. And she and Tom Renesto, the booker, fulfilled some Double of those for plans. for Georgia's championship wrestling. Yes, yeah. because in 1972 they split off and the NWA was left with very little talent and had to restart. So all the promoters... Uh, sent talent in to, you know, protect the NWA bastion from the outlaws, All South Wrestling, and mm. Gunkel and all the wrestlers that followed her f- husband. That's where they brought Barnett back from Australia because he, he was on the Georgia Council for the Arts in the 70s. He knew Jimmy Carter. He was a, sh- a shark, right? Mm-hmm. A well-dressed shark, but a shark. And if, if you had a promotional war or a problem... Or you needed something straightened out, you called Barnett. He had contacts everywhere. I'm thinking like so, Winston Wolf in uh, Pulp Fiction. Very good. Very good. Yes. <laughs> Only with a slight lift and, and a little bit of a minth, Jimsy. <laughs> but that was the thing. There were there were those guys, and Vince Sr. was right up there. You know, there were four or five guys that basically Dory Funk Sr. was so well thought of that that's why his little territory Amarillo that was out in the middle of nowhere and I mean when when guys would be, get injured in, t- in different territories they'd go to Amarillo and work for six weeks while they're supposed to have a broken leg because nobody could find you there <laughs> but his sons were both world champions and great workers and he was well thought of and he had a ton of pull in the NWA so a handful of guys really shaped 
the business for all those years because they were the ones that it really invented the territories. Barnett started studio wrestling. He didn't do the first studio show, but he started it as a a syndicated thing in Indianapolis in the 50s. He got Roy Shire uh, TV in San Francisco, went out there and made San Francisco the, the hottest wrestling city in the 60s. His reach was that's how, you know, he ended up settling the thing in Georgia in 74 and Ann Gunkel went out of business and and uh, two hours stayed on Saturday nights on Ted Turner's TV station. Yeah, this is when when Ray owned it. He died and took it over, but then yeah. Turner... There were other partners. Yeah. And yeah, see, yeah. that that was the bone of contention. And with the, the, apparently, Ray Gunkel and the Booker were trying to take the territory away from the rest of the promoters, the rest of the partners. Well, when mm-hmm. he died, she followed through with her... And he was so well-liked by the boys who didn't like the office because they were the promoters, right? That evil empire thing yeah. so uh uh all these years it's been thought that that ann gunkel was the baby face and the evil nwa uh Maybe shut her down but around. in actuality there's 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 other evidence so so you kind of mentioned this earlier i don't think we finished the point where you said that it seemed like the mcmahon's for the last 20 years have been the evil empire yes so you're saying it's almost like when these other you know we're talking about all in is a great example that, that people are flocking to that because it's the underdog and i th- i think you know you've got read the internet i mean if you want to sometime make yourself miserable read the internet um, all the fans, uh, they they are not satisfied with the product because, let's face it, the WWE, to me, has become Johnny Cash when he was playing Vegas, right? But then Rick Rubin stripped him back down and said, you're the badass man in black and you've lived this incredible life and you hear in your songs and in your voice the way you sing other people's songs, you hear that. And he stripped him down and made like, what, five American recordings, mm-hmm. albums. It was the greatest work of Johnny Cash's life. It's gotten so big budget, slick, choreographed, contrived, manipulated, controlled. Uh, it, it's, it's Vegas music for some wrestling fans. They want something else, whether they want that. And I'm a, new, a big fan of the, Walter in Germany. Have you seen him? The guy with these... Just ch- heard about him. He chops like Wahoo. He's got these big <laughs> hands and he looks like, the, you know, he looks like he ought to be a German officer in a Tarantino movie. <laughs> and, you know, he just needs big, big show experience. He needs a, a, a new gear to kick into. He needs to be able to go crazy on somebody, but he's impressive. But... And anyway, the the fans want different styles now, and you know, and and the hardcore thing is still around, and I can't figure that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you'd go there without inoculations, but but there are a, a significant group of fans that want to that think that the WWE is just is is. I mean, I've said they got four hundred people on their crew now. I went to catering at the Hall of Fame ceremony. My God, it was like a four star restaurant. <laughs> I remember ca- catering at Raw twenty years ago. You take the fork, you stick it in the bowl of pasta, and come up with an entire <laughs> bowl of pasta on the fork. Right? Now, they had more condiments than I had in my own home. Salmon. Oh, everything. The dessert table. You thought oh, we yeah. want to lose weight. Yes. There's no way. You walk past all that stuff. Oh, you should have seen one. One of them almost caught me when I had the plastic <laughs> bags in my pockets, putting the extra salmon in for later. But anyway, so they want something that's grittier and, and more. Maybe they want the underground cool wrestling like, you know, the ECW went through that thing. Or they want athletic style wrestling. Or some of them want the Gaga. But they do want something else besides what they've been forced to watch. And not say the WWE product's all bad, but there's been pretty much no choice but right. to watch that for the last 10, 15 years. And there years. hasn't been. And that's the thing that you mentioned, Walter. Like, I know enough about him. No, he does not want to leave 
Germany. Yeah. You don't want to leave Europe. Yeah. And there's people now, guys, making choices. We keep going back to Cody and Bucks, but you look at Kenny and Cody Bucks. You look at, you know, Walter. You look at a, a Chris Jericho in this day and age. You yeah. don't have to be in WWE. Some of the kids over in the UK. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Ospreay, yeah. Uh, now that he's starting to learn how to work and not be killing himself and everything, yeah. and that's specific as I've been telling him. Will he Will he be dynamite or will he be the dynamite kid? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't want to be dynamite kid. Now yeah. that people are saying that, that's not cool. Yeah. But but they, those guys need a guy like me to tell them that. Yeah. Because all the guys like me are working for Vince. So when you get this other world where there's people going to the show, I mean, we drew 50,000 people in Tokyo Dome. Like you mentioned, Madison Square Garden sold out, 10,000 all in. Doesn't happen every night, but Vince doesn't draw 10,000 every night either. Right. But you can make money including merch from Hot Topic, where you don't have to worry about going to Vince. Is this the only time that that's been that way? Or do you have to go back into the 70s or 80s? Do I know the last time that there was a financial option, really, I mean, the, the top guys at Impact mm-hmm. when they were on Spike. Um, the, the, the Monday Night Wars. The, the, then, then it, except for the top guys... On Impact, when they were on Spike, you got to go back to the Monday Night Wars mm-hmm. in WCW before there was real fine. I mean, with some guys, there always was. Right. You know, and once again, the Japanese guys, the Mexican guys, or, or just a couple of people here in this country, but not anything like this. There's a lot more options now. Mm-hmm. My you- God, I, I should have I should have opened up JimCornette.com <laughs> ten years ago because you know for the money that I'm making now. So yeah, the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you think that um, this is something... For example, All In. Was it the beginning of something or was it just a cool moment in time that we're going to look back on and go, remember that, 2018, what a great time that was? Well, it doesn't have to be. Well, no, because that's not going to be the last because Madison Square Garden will be even cooler. And you know know what I've said? I don't care if they just let the guys walk out, you know, with a robe on. I wouldn't have a stage any more than I could help. I would I would rent the Paramount Theater next door and I'd put a ring over there and I'd have a couple of live matches and show the thing on closed circuit because you know people want to be there too. There's going to be 100,000 people in town. I'd get 25,000 people in that complex for the headline in the newspaper that once again, Sinclair Broadcasting owns 100 and something local television stations that do 100 and something local television broadcasts or newscasts. I'd have it on the news Ring of Honor Wrestling turns people away from Madison Square Garden, 23,000 plus whatever, because that's going to kick it up to the next level. Because now if you're smart and you know how to promote live events, you get one of those Zane Bresloffs, if you can find him somewhere, dig him up these days. Yeah, right. Um, And you do a, and I've said this on my show, so I'm not just making this up out of my ass, but you do, a, for lack of a better term, a Madison Square Garden tour where you go to specific population centers that you have local television and that, you know, or Chicago where Ring of Honor's already established or whatever, the big, the places where you can draw a house in a good 2,500, 3,500, 4,000 seat building and go on that tour because you're touring behind a record. All those people that see that live show, even if they're not watching the, the television religiously, they get more hooked. When you're there live, they get more hooked. They want to see what's happening. They, they get caught up in the experience. 
Then you've got for the next for the next twelve months after Madison Square Garden because you only do one weekend a month and do two or three, mm-hmm. and you do that for another year. And who's to say that there couldn't be a Madison Square Garden two the following year or whatever? Well, WrestleMania ain't going to be there, but yeah, so. by then they might be able to fill it on their own. Well, they, what I heard through sources like you know Wrestling Observer and stuff like that is that the majority of the people who bought for Madison Square Garden were within that three or four yeah. state ra- radius. It wasn't like all in that had people flying in from from all yeah. over the country. And it, 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 there's 10 million people in New York. So, you know, mm. and that's and and once again, I wrestling will never be as mainstream as it was because when you had the territories promoting the towns every week or every month and you know, a, a, a Louisville Sold 150 to 200,000 wrestling tickets a year. A year, right? A year. Just you know, in the garden every just Friday in the gardens or Saturday. every Tuesday yeah. night. Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Sorry. Oh, save save the <laughs> save the weekends for the big towns. No. <laughs> Memphis sold 400,000 tickets right. in 1974 alone. You can't do that anymore, but you can if you make an event and you make it cool and you and you you make it a, a place to be. And like I said, with with news coverage of something like that, because that's why I, I gave Sinclair the the free idea. Right, because I said you own those stations, and they—we've t- already established—they tell their newscasters what to talk about in some instances. <laughs> so say, look here, this this program that's on our air every week has just sold out Madison Square Garden and created this traffic jam here, right? In the world's most populated, uh, you know, country's most populated city, blah blah blah. And they're coming. By the way, they're coming to your town. Uh, they're coming to Cleveland on the fifteenth over at the. Uh, with the talent getting hot like this, as we mentioned, and promotional vehicles, like you still can't replace a television platform, right. you know, for big numbers like that. But with all of that stuff, and just then, let's keep it going. You don't have to hot shot at this point because you need to pick your spots. If you try to just floor it now and just run everything or do this too much, it it could fall apart. Because it does it does concern me to an extent. Like I don't work for Ring of Honor, but I know kind of the infrastructure and who's in charge from from the crews once again. And I'm worried that there isn't a guy like you. Uh, or someone of your experience level, which there aren't many, um, yeah. that could say, like, listen, are we going to be building? Are we calling every sponsor in New York and saying, hey, guys, we sold out Madison Square Garden. It's wrestling. Yeah. Oh, is it Vince McMahon? No. Who is it? It's Ring of Honor. What's Ring of Honor? We sold out Madison Square Garden. Here you go, McDonald's or, or yeah, whatever. Because yeah. this seems like the perfect time to attract all sponsors and all types of investors. Yes, to- because, once again, it's it's cool again to be, okay, uh, Vince has gotten. Did I mentioned two billion dollars from the TV network for uh, for the show? So, and wrestling is not as offensive as it maybe was during the Attitude Era. It got a lot. It was a hot shot. It was hot yeah. shot, pure and simple. Hot shot went on too long, in my opinion. But they did everything to get eyeballs. Once they got the eyeballs, they couldn't get the sponsors because the the eyeballs were you know seeing what they were seeing. You know, transvestite <laughs> balls, you know, balls. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but it became kind of an institution where now they've coasted for they've been PG for a while, but they couldn't really get that that much attention from the fans as they could with the hot shotting. But it's become more acceptable for advertisers to deal with. And I don't know what's going to go on with Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I I That's I another. I, I don't plan to go to Saudi Arabia in my <laughs> lifetime, so I'll let other people sort that out. But that's that's another reason why I said also the, they have to watch in when the guys have their own 
when they're running their own show and when they're calling their own shots and there's no old fart like me to say, eh, I don't go too far, you don't want to do stuff on your big shows where a potential sponsor may be saying, okay, here, there's 10,000 people at this you know, big building in Chicago, I'm going to watch this, or at Madison Square Garden or whatever. And it could be the guy from Coca-Cola or the guy from McDonald's or whatever thinking, well, I can get a deal with these people because they'll be cheaper than the WWE. And all of a sudden, you see people dressed in six-foot penis outfits. And the guy goes, well, click, maybe I'll just watch, you know, the UFC instead. But once again, like I said, being it all in, like I was, it was very brief because I, I, I flew in, did the gig, and yeah. flew right out again. I like the way you make entrances and exits. I well, really do. Because that, yeah. that's that's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah. People don't know. But to see, like, just being in the back end, like you said, like, like, like yourself, I worked for, for Vince for a very long time. I can see the holes. You know, I can see the issues just because yeah. you work for Vince. It's a very well-oiled machine yeah. all across the board. And like yeah. you mentioned, that would not have been in there. It's the spirit of the, of the, of the you know, let's put on a show rebelliousness. Okay, I get it. But when you're thinking, you know, guys, this is not, you know, the proverbial bingo hall anymore. This is yeah. not, you know, the, the Palladium in New York City or wherever it is that they work. This is the big leagues. Everyone's watching. We got to be careful now. And sometimes it's like New Japan. When I went there the first time, I couldn't believe how much control the boys had. Yeah, <laughs> which I said, like, if I worked here more, they would start hating me because I would start saying, "You, you can't do this. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta stay within." And it's interesting because as, as 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 bad as it is working for Vince, in some ways, it's also amazing to work for Vince in some ways because he's the boss. It's a learning experience, and you know where you're going. You know where you stand. You, too, you might not, you might not like where you're going, but you know where it, where it is, and you know right? where the buck stops. You know this kid Lance Storm. You yeah. might know him. He said something to me, he said when he worked ECW, he said, we broke all the rules, and then later on we found out why they had rules. There's some things, it's the law of diminishing returns. Right. Because, I, you know, when I almost right. snatched Ed Ferrara by the neck that time, because he wrote a miscarriage on a wrestling program. Mm. Yes, it may be edgy, and yes, that well, for one thing, he said, well, people do it on, they do it on Dallas and primetime soap yeah, operas and everything. Yeah, yeah and, and we can go into the whole talk another time about how people don't consider wrestlers actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people that You're consider right. wrestlers actors are the people writing the wrestling. <laughs> yeah. They consider them actors, but the fans, they don't, they don't think... Chris Jericho is played by Chris Irvine, mm-hmm. or Jim Cornette's played by Jim. Actually, Jim Cornette yeah. is played by Jim. Well, Cornette. Jerry Seinfeld plays Jerry Seinfeld. Well, yes, but, as yeah. on Seinfeld, you know. But, but actually, I don't even have to play. So, but <laughs> but the point is, they don't see it that way. So, a, a, a miscarriage, it ain't going to sell any tickets. What you're talking about is a literal miscarriage. A literal, not miscarriage. a miscarriage of justice. No, a, a, a little. He had yeah. a miscarriage on Monday Night right. Raw when poor Marlena got knocked off the apron I of the remember. ring by something or yeah. other, and and I got on him about it because he said, well, the, the, he defended it with those. Well, the actors do it on the primetime soaps and everything, but also when you're uh, if you're going to offend somebody, have the realistic chance that it's going to sell you some tickets or draw you some money. Okay, this is edgy, but holy mackerel, you know. You did that with the gangsters in Smoky Mountain. Yeah, it didn't draw me any money, but at least it might have, right? It did in Knoxville and something. But that's basically preying on... Steve Austin. Yeah. Okay, I'll let Steve Austin cuss and flip the finger because look at the people's response to him and look at, 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 he's over and he's getting mega over during that period of time. So you let Steve Austin get away with shit, right? But there's no reason on the card. To, oh, by the way, there was the miscarriage in Seg Six. Oh my God, because there's women are going. Oh, I don't yeah, want to see yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. 
men, if they've ever had, I don't want to be reminded mm-hmm. of that. It didn't sell any ticket. Nobody believed. Here's the thing. If people believed that it was a real miscarriage, then they were really disgusted. And if the people didn't believe it was a real miscarriage, they're going, they're faking that stuff. Right. And it's just distasteful. It didn't sell anything. It didn't increase viewership. That kind of shock TV from people instead, for a while there, our business was run by people who were watching Jerry Springer instead of people who were watching combat sports. Mm -hmm. The UFC hypes fights, hypes fighters, hypes rivalries, does packages and promotes so well, their product just happens to be a shoot. However, they're still doing angles sometimes without even knowing about it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me when. Khabib. Meanwhile, okay, yeah, Khabib, he chokes him out, he spits on him, he tells him what he thinks, then he dives out and he tackles the manager. While he's doing that, the baby face is still selling, and here comes the guy over the top of the cage to pound him in the back of the head, and they're pulling him apart. That's an angle. You yeah. know why wrestling angles work that way? Because shit like that can actually happen. Right, because when, when, when there's realism, yes. it sells. And, and that's the way wrestling angles started, because shit would just get out of hand and then they would remember so well that sold some tickets let's do that again mm-hmm. see it, it doesn't surprise me though what you mentioned earlier when you said because okay so WWE went through that phase of, 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 of the envelope tearing because it was a different yeah. 90s into 2000s the whole world was kind of changing yeah. but to me the way WWE is now like you said very I don't know how you said very corporate or or whatever you said it was. It's really typical Cornette good verbiage. Corporate controlled, manipulated, choreographed. Choreographed, uh, sanitized for everybody. Yes, yes. It doesn't surprise me, though, because you look what Vince did in the 80s when he took it from the quote-unquote smoky halls (laughs) and made it into Hulk Hogan versus, you know, uh, Andre the Giant. And we had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with a dragon. And we had the King Harley Race. And we made it into a, a cartoon character then as that got a little bit boring he switched it over yeah. to the edgy now it seems like it's going right back to where Vince always envisioned of being a modern day Barnum and Bailey circus yeah like every yeah. family member can go to and it wouldn't surprise me before he dies in 25 years his mom's still alive I met yeah, her yeah she patted me on the butt uh he'll, I wouldn't be surprised if he sold to Disney or something like that a big corporation where you go to Disneyland and take the you know what the headline was in in wrestling 86 magazine hello wonderful Willie Apta uh <laughs> I am the Walt Disney of wrestling. That was a cover story one time. Did Vince, Vince actually say that? Walt Disney of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Because he was making it mainstream, but here's the thing. In the 80s expansion and even in the Attitude Era, you still had guys who were trained and came up in the territories. Right. Because they had individual personalities and they came, if not fully formed as the gimmick that they were given, they came fully formed to perpetrate that gimmick. And now, and once again, I helped start the developmental program with OVW because there had to be one. And even with NXT, although I think they've lost their way a little bit because they're signing, they sign the best international talent and send it to NXT when they're better than half the guys maybe on the main roster. I don't know how that's working. But the point is, there's a lot of similarity. There's a lot of sameness. There's a lot of guys that are working with the same guys that didn't come from different geography and different mm-hmm. territories and different trainers and different, different styles different yep. styles so i think that's part of what and, and plus the look nobody and i say this all the time and, and, and you'll get it nobody looks like abdullah the butcher anymore mm-hmm. not to say that's good bad or indifferent but nobody looks like they stand out there were a lot of people in the rest and i'm not talking about giants because when you got 12 seven foot guys you got no giants mm-hmm. great call 
people have to stand out. There's different body types. So that's why Walter, I was I was attracted to. I, I didn't, <laughs> that didn't sound right, but you know what I mean. No, but if um, you look at like Bam Bam Bigelow, you look at yeah. Vader, yes. Mick Foley. These are not musclehead guys. They're yeah. big, round, rotund guys that could work. Yeah. And I wonder now if those guys walked into the performance center, if they would appreciate that, or if they'd make them do a hundred. They know, would vomit trying r- to do right. the drills do and hundred burpees, and yeah. I can't do one burpee. Well, you're out of here. Well, I wonder if Bam Bam Bigelow could have ever done a burpee. I'm sure he could have, yeah. but one out a lot. Terry Gordy. You 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 need to try to find different looking individuals to see if they have the aptitude to do what it takes to get over in the ring for them, not for everybody, mm-hmm. for them. So you know, we had a few gimmicks in OVW and we made uh, exceptions for him and certain things and uh, but even when we had Batista I told him I said well I said, you will never be taking arm drags in a second match right look at you right you got to be on top or elsewise don't even bother mm-hmm. with with some people you can't just approach teaching or training or booking everybody the same way you have to make allowances to get some people in that just have a different look let me ask you a quick question about batista this, this is not taking the piss you brought him in and made him the leviathan yeah coming out of the ohio river what was the idea of that we know that's not real there's no such well, thing yeah. as a demon from the deep but see that's the thing it's not whether it, because we knew by that point we knew none of it was real but how weird can you make these look how bizarre can they have attention getting when you've got a guy that looks like that and at the time he was he was six six well i guess he still is but at the time he was <laughs> yeah, three he was 330 pounds or whatever and just jacked in the tattoos and we got him contact lenses so he had those eyes put a chain around his neck right and and he just he was amazing looking and you have the manager and the rest of the group doing an interview around a fire on the side of the river and and without referring to him just as they're talking, you see this head come out of the river, and you see this giant, and it's midnight, right? When we got there down the Ohio River, these guys had the campfire already going. They had been fishing, and they saw Leviathan and then the Disciples of Sin and Megan and the cameraman, and they go, you guys aren't going to kill our dog, are you? You know, because they had the, right. the big knives and everything. But here this guy comes, and he just walks, and he just stands there, because that, at the time, was what he did best, was just standing there. You know, he did not been mm-hmm. in the business very long and it, the whole idea is not whether it's a the the demon of the deep this it's look at this guy these people are demented they're all tattooed up they got pointy ears we don't know what's going on in their minds and whether you believe wrestling or not this guy can be a dangerous son of a bitch mm-hmm. and they're obviously it's the same thing as a you know i don't know that what's that band that were, were the horror masks slipknot, slipknot? yeah well, I bet one of them has a nice little Pomeranian at home. You know, he probably doesn't eat people. Yeah. But at the same, that doesn't mean mean he's, he's lip-syncing. It's it's yeah. yeah. So when you have a guy like that, people, if we started him as a heel and smash him over, he sells nothing, he gets stuff broken over his head, it doesn't phase him, and gradually that turns him babyface because the more invulnerable and invincible a guy who looks like that is, the more people, no matter whether he's dirty or not, are gradually going to start to like him. And then you have him lay waste to the rest of the group and become the baby face right mm-hmm. before he gets called up to the main <laughs> roster. That's the way you handle that. you mm-hmm. know. But at the same time, he I would not have gotten him over like I would have gotten over a, a, a Nick Dinsmore who was a pure wrestler. And, okay, let's let him and Doug Basham go 30 minutes and take people on a ride. Or you and Johnny Jeter at, at Six, right, Flags, right, Six Flags. You know. Let me ask you this. I want to uh, see what your opinion is. So I'm good friends with Zach Wilde from, from Ozzy's band. Played for years with Ozzy's. Back with him now. He would tell me that he would write these these awesome riffs. 
and then send him to Ozzy, and then Ozzy yeah. would send it back with like, "There's Perry Mason was one song, and he's like, Perry <laughs> Mason, <laughs> this Perry Mason." He said, "I would take the damn cassette, I'd throw out the window, and go, I lost it. My my guy is gone." Did that ever happen to you? I'm sure you just mentioned Nick Dismore. Like, how did it yep. make you feel when you got this guy who's a great performer, great wrestler, and they bring him up and make him Eugene the the slow? Oh God! You know, like, did that drive you nuts? Or yes. Did you, yes. Did you have to wash your hands and just? Well, now, see, that's, you know me, I'm not a good hand washer. <laughs> I cannot let anything go. If I feel that something is, is, is not right, I can't let it go. I will die on that hill every time. Right. And it wasn't just me, though. That was the, the problem I had the last couple of years with OVW and, and WWEs and my relationship, is I used to do market research with our fans because we'd run our TV building, the Davis Arena, every Saturday, or every Saturday, every Wednesday night for our television taping that would air the following Saturday. And we would do 500 people every week. We filled it up for because it was free admission. But then we had a, a, an extensive concession stand and a local pizza sponsor. So we were making Make some money you know, that, multiple yeah. dollars a head on food. But right. anyway, and I would say who, who I would poll the, the audience weeks at a time, handing out, you know, uh, 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 surveys. And if they handed something back, they get a free picture or whatever. Who are your favorites? Who do you not like? What what kind of matches do you like to see? Do you like going to Six Flags better? Do you like going here better or whatever? And I'd also just leave it open for comments. Two to one over this one particular survey, the most repeated comment was, we hate it when our favorite wrestlers show up on the WWF and they make them look stupid. This was the feedback of, from my big corporate partner, right? This is the feedback my fans are giving me. Right. Because every time I would have people caring about these guys, whether Johnny Jeter was the thrill seeker, it was the 19-year-old kid that moved from San Diego right. to Louisville, Kentucky with everything he owned in the trunk of his car and waited tables at For Chili's yeah. to afford his wrestling school tuition so that he could achieve his dream. And finally, he landed a developmental contract and got the opportunity to face a major WWF star. At, and then they take him up there and make him the spirits squad and he's a male cheerleader and the people are farting at it and Matt Morgan who was the blueprint who was two to one my biggest baby face who the people were coming to see and they said well switch him heel now what if I supposed to have him do sodomize Bambi <laughs> right and now put a mask on him or what instead of what I tried to do was I got these guys from scratch so I tried to just go send them out there and let them be themselves on the local shows before they made television so I could kind of get a handle on who they were. And then once I knew how to present them, I'd kind of give them a little goose as far as their, you know, uh, personality or whatever. But a lot of it was them and the way they progressed. And we did real life storylines and to the point where Meltzer, for, you know, uh, Dave Meltzer is a polarizing figure, but he said, this is the only pro wrestling program on television in the country today everything else is sports entertainment mm -hmm. this is pro wrestling but with young guys right. and I took that as a compliment but the writers had to instead of taking a guy and seeing okay boy let's accentuate this about him because people like him and he's a good worker and he wants to That's do he works hard the writers come up with we want a character who does such and such now let's go to developmental and find somebody to play him right Ah, yeah, yeah. ah, yeah. Who, 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 who are the biggest, the, uh, 
<laughs> you keep mentioning Johnny Jeter. Obviously, you think that really... Spirit Squad thing just killed that me with him one. and him and Mondo. Uh, but also, it, it knew Eugene. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it made him some money. But Nick, we presented him as Mr. Wrestling, and he was the one of the OBW sure. originals. That he actually was a a teacher for a while at his high school that he went to over in Southern Indiana. And every year we ran the show once a year. They drew five hundred people. Nick Dinsmore comes home. <laughs> we brought him back as Eugene drew two hundred and fifty. <laughs> right? Do you want Eugene to be a graduate of your school, much less a I, teacher? I always thought like that's such a short term gimmick, but I thought they could have made it work as if you find out afterwards that he was just working everybody. He's really a genius, yeah. and he was just doing that gimmick to fool people. Well, they flummoxed it to begin with when yeah. he stopped outsmarting the smart people, because the only reason why people cheer for the stupid guy is when he outsmarts the smart guy that you don't like. Yeah. And then we stopped outsmarting him, and they're ah, He's just a okay, stupid guy. Right, right. And then there was uh, Doug Basham and, and the damage it was Danny Basham, but you know, just ripped and shredded in great shape. They worked their ass off. They were drawing money for me on top at Six Flags against each other that whole summer that they were tag team uh, on SmackDown because I tried to push them as a team for two years. They wouldn't bring them up, right? So finally, I said, they're the best heel team I can find in the business right now. You won't bring them up, so I'll, I'll turn damage of baby face on Basham. They'll work my summer, and we'll have great matches. As soon as I did, they debuted him as a team. So I've, Danny Davis used to call me the weasel because I'd figure out a way to book myself out of what they were seeing on national TV. I explained that Doug Basham's female accomplice, Nikita, had gotten in John Laurinaitis's office and convinced him that the only way they could get rid of Damager was to embarrass him by making him go as as Doug Basham's brother. And then Damager comes out and does the promo, says, I may have to be Danny Basham on SmackDown, but at OVW here in my hometown, I'm the Damager, and I'm going to run you out of wrestling, Doug Basham. And the people, when I had their loser-leave town match on, on television, not only do we uh, turn people away from, from TV, but that weekend it was one of the highest rated shows of the year to see mm. who was going to stay and who was going to go because right. they were people were invested in these guys. Mm-hmm. And they knew they were from around here. And they knew their real stories. It wasn't just manufactured on the spot. It was... Right. There was a, a legitimacy to the backstory. But see, that, that, like I mentioned earlier, you talk about what you did with Smoky Mountain, what you did with OVW, what you did with Ring of Honor. Do you ever? I know. I know you're not going to miss it because you don't want to go on the road. But is there not a place for Jim Cornette as a <laughs> consultant or like a, a a booking from home guy? No, at, but at this point, do I consult by say, okay, do everything I say, or do I consult by say, okay, do everything that opposite of what I say? Because <laughs> right. because sometimes when you try to tell people the right way to do it today, it may be the complete opposite thing. And plus, I. Uh, when I, I can tell people how to, or encourage them, or give them tips on how to go out and get themselves over, but that's exactly the thing that probably get them fired from any reputable company. Especially anymore. now. Especially now, where the guys have to walk on eggshells you know. because you know, there the the many promoters are not offended by the things that the promoters used to be offended by, like not kayfabing and et cetera, et cetera. But they're offended by a lot of other things that you can never really tell until they get offended. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> but like I said, it's still one of those things like working for Vince. Like when you work for Vince, it's Vince's company. Like yeah. Pat, yeah. Pat says, you know, sometimes yeah. he likes vanilla, sometimes he likes chocolate, but yeah. it's his ice cream store. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> you take the vanilla, you take the chocolate. Uh, and working outside of that system for the first time in almost 20 years, it felt like, like I'm free. Yeah. And so, like I said, you can see that side of the coin as well. So now when you can go and have a little bit of creative freedom, like all this stuff you said, you like how I appear, I don't have to run it past 
an agent and right. a, a, a producer and, uh, you know, wait out front of Vince's door for 20 minutes or whatever and go in. I, I just yeah. do it. This is what I want to do. Hey, when I, when I went to TNA last year, I told Dutch Mantel, I said, let's make it a surprise to everybody. You know, Jeff knows. Let's make it a big surprise. It'll shock shock the world, baby. Yeah. But here's the thing. I said, I'm going to be in the hotel. I'm going to be at a different hotel. I'll come over there like an hour before the show because yeah, I've got the promo. Mm-hmm. I, you know, whatever. And he calls me about three that afternoon. He said, you can probably come mosey on over because we left the formats blank when we went over the show. But there was there was a pre-tape sheet that went out with your name on it. I'm like, Jesus, we can't keep a secret anymore. That happened to me the one one time I came back. I can't remember what it was. Uh, WWE, maybe 16 or 15. Yeah. Same thing where I was hiding out in the bus. You know, they stick you in the bus. Yeah. And uh, people were texting me like, where are you? Like, what do you mean? Like, your name's on the rundown sheet. Like, Jericho <laughs> Pierce. I'm like, what the f- what am I doing this bus for the last four hours by myself? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. But you and me are the, are the big surprise entrance. Because <laughs> think about, I've done a surprise. I did the surprise from Smoky Mountain when we invaded WCW yeah. at Center Stage. We got there at one in the afternoon, sat in a closet, <laughs> me and the Heavenly Bodies, and and uh, and and uh, the Rock and Roll. They were supposed to be there. And then I did a surprise in ECW when I showed up at one time, favor for Candido, and helped Lawler cave yeah, yeah, Tommy yeah. Dreamer's balls in. Uh, I did a surprise for uh, Ring of Honor when I came back after I just uh, got fired by mm-hmm. TNA the previous week. Uh, I like that because it's a shock and people are instantly interested in what you're going to do and what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. It's not like they knew ahead well, yeah. of time and have any reason to know why you're there. So they sit right, up right. and pay don't attention. Know. Don't know for sure. And plus also, it's part of the idea of wrestling is to surprise people. Surprise, right. With, but make it a logical surprise. I'd be surprised if I walked out my front porch tomorrow morning and there's a pink elephant sitting. I would be surprised. <laughs> but I would need to know several things. How did it get there? Who am I going to call about getting rid of it? I need more details than just being surprised. You have to have, it's part of the surprise, it's part of the overall story of the as, thing. Uh, as we wind down here, I, I guess, do you miss doing that sort of stuff in the business? You know, I, I always say I don't want to do anything full-time anymore, but I will visit anybody anywhere. Uh, and I th- that's the thing is, I've just got to watch because I get, ob- you know, I get obsessive. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing something, then I'm, okay, well, now it's got to be perfect. Well, now then I've got to start paying attention to what he's doing, too, because his shit may affect my shit, and then that wouldn't be perfect. And then uh, well, how can we make it better? And then I'm going to obsess over this, and I'm going to start eating, and I'm going to gain weight, right. and I'm going to get stressed to people. And, and oh, you're 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 not depriving yourself of all happiness and, and doing only this <laughs> like I am? Well, and f*** you. Yeah. I'm going to be mad at you because you're not obsessed like I am. And it just, so I like to sit back and offer some suggestions every once in a while. But... Like I said, that seems to be what you'd be really good at because you got so much knowledge and history and creative ideas. But sometimes the business beats that out of you. Yes, you know. But and also, there's there nobody understands the business of wrestling anymore. I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people and a lot of people haven't been in the position to uh, with, with Sinclair. A couple of times, Richmond, Virginia, I think Norfolk, it is something in Ohio, whatever. It's down in Knoxville, but. I would go to the local station. Charleston, West Virginia is where it was, not Knoxville. I'd go to the local stations and have a meeting with the sales force and explain to them how to sell their wrestling program because the more, obviously, uh, the more that the station is taken in from commercial sales, the more they want to advertise and feature the program and the happier they are to have it on their airs. You always keep station happy. Hmm. That's old-time wrestling. Right. Then you got, you talk about the wacky car dealer or the furniture store guy that likes to do his own commercials. The local hero, yeah. Fast food, et cetera, et cetera, and there's ways to go and things to do and the ways you can sell the packages and involve the value-added aspect of this is the only program probably in this market, Charleston, West Virginia, where you can have the star of the show 
appear live at the sponsor's location before the big show. With the, <laughs> yeah. And and doing that, I, you know, I, I, I've done a little bit of everything, so I like trying to uh, keep those things alive because now a lot of people think to promote wrestling you just well I'm going to let them know on Facebook mm-hmm. I'm going to be there to promote hey, anything everybody on Facebook was real happy to hear about it yes you know everybody <laughs> at church is real happy to hear the sermon they're already there right <laughs> it, it's getting the people that 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 wouldn't Casuals. be there to begin with that's right. that's the the issue what do you think uh, where do you think the business is going to go and the reason why I ask that is you talk about Vince having two billion dollars and there are the Walters and the Bucks and the Jerichos and the guys the Will Ospreys that we're happy doing what we're doing How now the two things are going to happen one Vince is just going to go I'll give you one dollar no I'll give you two dollars I'll give you five I'll give you ten All right, I'll do it or will these guys be able to sustain this other side of the wrestling world I I don't know what your language restrictions are but I probably already broke them but (laughs) Would you f- me for a dollar? No. Would you f- me for a million dollars? Yes. <laughs> what, we're, we're, we're just, we're haggling right. over price here. We right. already know what you are. You know, that's the thing. I think a lot of those guys would be crazy to take, unless they just said, okay, I'm just going to cash in for this two-year contract and, and, and retire yeah. and bow out, then take the money. But they have they have freedom and they have power and they have pull and they're valuable so i don't think anybody in the position of the bucks or cody or some of these guys the bullet club etc yourself should put all their eggs in one basket and sign with any especially when you know if if vince saw the bucks walking down the hallway that's he'd start yelling at somebody he would start yelling and that's at what somebody. happened to revival yeah, when I saw them, nothing against them. I didn't know them. I was like, oh, like I said, are those local guys? I don't know them, because you see, like you know how Vince thinks. Yeah, and like you mentioned, when he sees the box, he's gonna go. That's yeah, he wanted to get Christian plastic surgery at one point. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but so, but I think they can have their own path. But Vince is gonna have that money, and he's gonna be able to afford anybody that wants to work there. And then the question becomes, and this is a whole nother question, but then the question becomes, gee, but he Pete, when you've got a professional sports franchise basically bringing in that much money, when do the guys get some? Well, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. When you know? do the guys get some some love? When mm-hmm. they get some insurance? When they get some something, right? And this employee independent contract thing. That's drama for another day, as mm-hmm. they say. But uh, for a lot of other guys, I think it's it's a chance for them to, to do their own thing and, and, and be successful at it. And But you can always learn from wrestling's past, even if you're not having the same style of match, even if you're not trying to make people believe as you're overriding uh, piece of importance, if that's secondary or down on the list, wrestling has always been about promoting two individuals that are going to have a conflict and we're going to see what's going to happen. And whether it's real or worked or a combination of in-between, as long as those people are interesting and as long as you give the people a reason to care about what they're doing and as long as they have a platform on which they can see what's happening, you can you can draw money. But, you know, you got to be able to know how to promote live events. you got to be able to know how to hit people. you got to be able to know the times and the places and the dates and the things and how to say something and how not to say something. And, and mm. just and don't run Louisville the first Saturday of, of May because that's against the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> don't run against the Indianapolis 500. Just the, the stuff that a lot of rookies make when they're trying to run promotions mm. and or just promote individual shows these days. Uh, last question for you. You mentioned you're going to the NWA 70th anniversary. Who are your top three favorite NWA champions? Oh, my God. Um, that's like the best three bands in, in all of history. <laughs> Terry Funk, Ric Flair, 
and God, somebody's some some relative of somebody will be mad at me if I, you know, I, Jerry Briscoe will be mad if I don't say Jack. Yeah. Um, Harley was yeah, I was tremendous. Harley. Uh, but you know, I got to see Luthez not when he was NWA champion, but I got, I got to see Luthez wrestle Billy Robinson in the Louisville Gardens in 1981. Wow! When Luthez was 65 years old, and they did a 10 minute Broadway just out of respect like for, for or, Thez. Yeah. No, it wasn't even a, oh. it was it was a match. Okay, Thez took the Robinson's backbreaker, the over the knee backbreaker at 65 years old. Holy shit! But they did a 10 minute Broadway because who's going to do the job, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but you know, so there's been so many, and they were all great in their own individual ways, mm-hmm. and and especially for the era, for the time, because you had to be, you know, you, you had, had to, to get be. voted yeah. in. Who? Uh, one more thing. Who was uh, the best NWA champion that never got the championship? Like, who do you think? Oh God! Well, uh, Ted DiBiase was, was he was he was right there. There was the rumors in the early '80s it was going to be between him and Flair, and I heard one reason why they didn't give it to him was because he told a bunch of people it was between him and Flair. But that's that's been disproven. <laughs> right, right. Teddy, I'm not. I'm kidding. But DiBiase, but also you know, Steamboat finally got it. Right. But he didn't really. It was a company title by then with WCW, and and so you know, it I wasn't think the it, old school voting. It man. wasn't the old school mm-hmm. voting at that point. Flair was the last of the those champions mm. um, between 80, 84, 86 when everything changed. But yeah, um, but you know, yeah, they were they were all great in their own way, and 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 sometimes even Giant Baba was great because he <laughs> he wrote that huge check for that yeah. week. <laughs> Jimmy, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank you, thank you, my man. Chris, I appreciate all right. it. <laughs> All right, thanks again to Jim Cornette. Always so great to chat with him. He's hilarious, very smart, a historian, knowledgeable, uh, great stories and great opinions. Check out his podcast, The Jim Cornette Experience. He releases new episodes every Thursday. You can listen in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You need to check out Jimmy. He's one of the the smartest men in the wrestling business and one of the uh, uh, most controversial. He's funny. He doesn't care. Go check out his podcast, The Jim Cornette Experience. He also does another podcast every Monday called Cornette's Drive-Thru, where he answers your questions. Cornette's drive through you know where that comes from. Yeah, go back and look it up. I'll tell you what right now. Dairy Queen drive through Chris Jericho, Jim Cornette, great time. Uh, so give both those podcasts a listen. Learn something and be entertained as you're always entertained when Jim Cornette is around. Always entertained when you listen to Talk is Jericho. And you're going to get a good one coming up this Friday. Another holiday edition of Talk is Jericho. This is a special one. A tribute to the late, great Eddie Guerrero. Uh, with Rey Mysterio, Conan, and Diamond Dallas Page, live from the Jericho Cruise. You're not going to want to miss this one. Eddie Guerrero had such great influence over so many people, uh, and uh, including me, and we talk uh, all about Eddie's life and times on the cruise, and you get to hear it here on Talk is Jericho this Friday. So in the meantime and in between time, have a great holiday season. Stay cool, stay hungry, don't drive drunk. Remember what Nitsa said. Uh, we'll see you soon. We'll see you on Friday. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big Merry Boxing Day. Ah, yeah.